Welcome to Employee to Lawyer, the employment law podcast presented by NELA Illinois, the podcast that discusses the policies, regulations, and laws that affect our workplaces, presented primarily from the perspective of employee or plaintiff side lawyers. We are your hosts, Ahmed Bindra and Max Barrett. We are members of the board of directors of NELA Illinois, the Illinois chapter of the National Employment Lawyers Association, a nonprofit collection of attorneys who empower workplace rights. And welcome back to Employee to Lawyer, the employment law podcast presented by NELA Illinois. We are your hosts. I'm Ahmed Bindra. I'm Max Barrick, and we are extremely lucky today to, on very short notice on a Sunday morning, have one of our best former guests come on to discuss some major wins that his firm has recently registered on behalf of all, I guess let's call it consumers and employees in Illinois or workers who might have had their biometric identifiers collected or improperly disseminated as part of their work. Mr. Jim Zuris, welcome back. Well, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you for having me on again. So Jim is back because a couple of cases that he recently argued at the state Supreme Court have come down on decisions on BIPA, the Illinois Biometric Information Privacy Act. And we're here to talk about one of them in particular, and if time permits too, the Cothrone versus White Castle Systems decision. Uh, Jim, you got a nice win this week. We did. We're, we're very uh, gratified by that. We we argued this case back in May of 2022, so we've been anxiously awaiting it. It came out on Friday of last week, and we think it is a well-reasoned opinion, perfectly consistent with the statutory text, and more importantly, perhaps consistent with exactly what we have said all along is the, number one, the meaning behind the law and how it is to be applied in practice. Well, give us like a very brief rundown. What What is this case about? Well, this case, put simply, was about how claims accrue and what triggers accrual under the Illinois Biometric Information Privacy Act. So what conduct or, or what failures trigger the ability to bring a lawsuit? And so, put simply, BIPA is an informed consent statute before collecting storing, using, disseminating, selling, trading with biometric data, you have to get informed consent from the person, from the subject of the collection. In this case, it was a employee, our client, Latrina Cathrone, who is a near veteran employee of White Castle. So the, the, the issue was, well, what triggering events would allow that person whose rights have been violated to bring a lawsuit? for redress under the statute. White Castle's position was that only the first time they broke the law, only the first time they collected, for example, Ms. Cathrone's biometrics without consent, which in this case was the day after the statute was enacted in 2008, that that would be the only trigger that would cause her rights to accrue claims to accrue. We said that, well, no, because you broke the law every day, not with just with Ms. Cathrone, of course, but with respect to all employees, day after day, not for a few weeks, not for a few months, but for a decade, thousands of employees breaking this simple and straightforward statute. We said, it's well, it's the last time you take metric data, use it, store it, disseminate it without informed consent. That is the last time the claim would accrue. And the court agreed with us that we are, you know, gratified with the decision. It is a logical, straightforward reading of the plain text. They were not, the court was wisely not distracted by some of the hysterical 
fear-mongering nonsense. I think we counted 90 pages of briefing between White Castle and its amici on issues which were not before the courts. They were not distracted by that smokescreen. And hopefully no one will be distracted by any of that nonsense, which we continue to see it isn't working. It's it's destroying credibility. It, it really hurt their credibility at the court, I believe. It's not helping their cause right now to tell the world that they are now responsible for. It is, they calculate, I believe, $17.1 billion in damages. They, they told that to the court. Court didn't buy it. They're telling that to the world now. I don't think it is helping their cause. That is my humble opinion. I don't I don't represent White Castle. I don't advise them. If if I were responsible for that, I would I would strongly consider telling them taking it down a notch. It it really isn't working. <laughs> so so just to clarify, Jim, that that defense that I think I agree, I think we can agree was pretty hyperbolic in the realm of the parade of horribles arguments you hear about in law school was that every single time somebody clocks in and out right um, on that device every single one of those it's a one to five thousand dollar violation and that every company in the world that has ever used BIP, a biometric time clock or some other device that collects would result in these sort of just lottery ticket damage awards right right and of course that's nonsense we know it's nonsense because the only folks calculating damages in this matter, in this manner, and who have calculated damages in this manner are defense lawyers defending BIPA cases and representing BIPA violators. In other words, no plaintiff, not us, not any plaintiff to our knowledge, no court, no one else other than the defendants themselves calculate damages in the outrageous manner that we have now discussed, the non- text, non-statutory based manner that they are suggesting. And the one that 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 was not before the court anyway, but certainly that the court didn't think, you know, the threat of this was was not a reason to ignore the plain text. And it's, again, not helping their cause, in my opinion. Yeah, in essence, this decision is like a very simple interpretation of basic grammar which happens a lot in court cases about statutes, but the implications then are on the statute of limitations, right? And it want, so that would be one, like you said before, the last day the action happens, that's when the statute of limitations would start running again. And then two, what are your thoughts then on the implications on the damages based on this? How should they right. be calculated? Right. Well, you know, again, despite White Castle's best efforts to make it about something else, this case was never about how damages should be calculated under the statute. The court made very clear that that issue was not before the court. Again, White Castle is not really trying to avoid a multi-billion dollar damages award, which it absolutely knows is absurd. What they wanted to do, the reason this happened at all, was because they wanted to avoid all accountability for ignoring the law. Because of course, had they won, Latrina Cathrone would have gotten nothing. Her case would have been dismissed and thrown out of court. That is why this all arose in the first place, because, again, the violation of her rights began the day after the statute was passed in 2008. And White Castle did nothing to comply with the law for 10 years until 2018. So if it had gone their way, well, then she would be out of luck 
as would anybody else in her position. So we 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 are very gratified that the court rejected the theory that hey, because I I took the company took stored disseminated bi biometrics without informed consent once. That means they have the right to do it again and again and again as much as they like without legal consequences. That is essentially, you know, what has happened. So, so this stuff, the, the damages calculations, I, I, I'm, I, I just, I, I'm at a loss to understand why they think, you know, this is happening. All I can, all I can conclude is that this, this concoction, which, which by the way, originally started because they simply wanted to have a basis to remove cases to federal court. They have to meet the 5 million CAFA limit. And so in many cases, they had to calculate damages and damages in this outrageous manner in order to justify removal to get to federal court. It's a pretty low bar. You know, if there's any, any conceivable way you can get there, it's a very low standard. But but anyway, I think I think they're trying to just distract, shift focus away from their conduct blame the client, blame the courts, try to gain sympathy perhaps in Springfield to repeal this law, which was passed unanimously in 2008. Every Republican and every Democrat had to vote in favor of this law after every corporate lobbying group had every opportunity to chime in, explain why it's unfair, it needed to be changed, and it was passed. And, and, and so... It, it, Ms. Cathrone, employees, is, is not you know, responsible for White Castle's disregard of the law. By the way, if I may, we're not against the responsible use of biometric technology. You know, thousands of companies in Illinois use it responsibly in full compliance with this statute with no problems, no threats of multi-billion dollar awards whatsoever. By the way, White Castle has used the technology unabated, continuing to this day for close to 20 years. They have not stopped using biometric technology. They finally, finally came into came into compliance in, in 2018. Yeah, sorry. No, no, you're right. And but I, you know, when I think in terms of the Parade of Horribles, there is a verdict now that we can pull from where there was no, you know, every single clock in a cruel, a federal, it was a federal district court, I believe, has ruled, has given a verdict on BIPA. And while it was a punitive damage award, because that case called for it, it was not an every clock in every time you punch the device, you know, billions and billions of dollars award. You're speaking about the Rogers versus BNSF verdict yes. trial overseen by an extremely smart, knowledgeable judge, Judge Canelli in federal court, who is a, a student of the law, who, who, who followed the law to the letter. And yes, after the jury decided that, that BNSF in that case, number one, broke the law, number two, did it in a willful and reckless manner. The judge, Judge Canelli, correctly applying the law said that that is now $5,000 per person for these violations, which is exactly the manner we have always advocated. And I believe every plaintiff, every serious plaintiff anyway, has always advocated for how damages in these cases are calculated. Because if White Castle is right, of course, they're not. But if they were, then, yeah, Judge Kennelly would have to get his very large calculator out and, and say, all right, it's 5,000 times 
every clock in or out every day for every employee, which we all know, everyone knows is nonsense. This case, the Cothrone case that you just, you won at the state Supreme Court has had quite a journey procedurally, right? So you mentioned it started out in, I'm assuming, Cook County? Yeah, it actually took a, a pretty unusual path. You know, it's, it's been it's been about three years to get here. So, yes. So we, we originally filed the lawsuit in the circuit court of Cook County. It was removed to federal court. Now we're in front of Judge Tharp in federal court, the trial, the trial judge. And one of the immediate dispositive motions filed by White Castle was a motion saying that the case has to be dismissed outright because, again, it accrued back in 2008, the very first time we took Ms. Cathrone's biometrics without consent. Even under a five-year limitations period, you filed too late, and so case should be dismissed. Judge Tharp, also a very astute, knowledgeable judge, didn't buy it ruled against White Castle, had a very thorough, comprehensive, well-written opinion on, on the accrual issue under, under the BIPA statute. He did allow for an immediate interlocutory appeal to the Seventh Circuit because it, it, it has been an undecided question at the appellate level. So we brief the case before the issue, before the Seventh Circuit. We have oral argument. The court said, well, we agree with plaintiff because we had made this part of our, our request that this is an important question of state statutory interpretation. It is best decided in the first instance by the state court of last resort, the Illinois Supreme Court. So we're going to agree to send it to the Illinois Supreme Court so that they could hear it. And the Illinois Supreme Court did hear it, and we briefed it, and we argued it back in, in May, and, and here we are. We got the decision last Friday. So, yeah, it's it's a bit unusual, but a bit unique to, to take that path to where we got here. And now, of course, we're, we're going to be sent back into the federal system to effectively start litigating the case. I mean, we haven't even done discovery. Yeah, I'm impressed how much you've accomplished in three years, but also procedurally where you simultaneously are. And we were talking about this before we started. The state Supreme Court is then trying to punt this to the legislature, which makes sense to some degree. So it's going from state court, circuit court, to district court, to federal appellate court, to state Supreme Court, back to federal court, and potentially to the legislature. Yeah, well, you know, that's funny, too, because ever since, you know, th these cases began to be filed starting back in, you know, 2016, 2017. And it became clear that there was some perverse, you know, violations of this statute, some some very serious, egregious violations and, and lawsuits started to be filed by aggrieved folks. There's been legislative, well, there's been lobbying by very powerful corporate interest groups to repeal the law in Springfield. So that's been going on for years. That isn't working either. I mean, you know, the BNSF verdict that Max, you alluded to, you know, that's not a fluke. The jury came back in that case, I think in an hour and a half. That That's not striking me as a jury that's struggling with this, that think it's that thinks it's unjust or unfair or that the law is wrong. That that tells me that people are very sensitive and very concerned about how their sensitive data 
is is maintained in today's day and age and rightfully so and the, the ordinary people get it right and they're smart and i think the legislature would be wary to now go go backwards in time given the the extensive public support for this statute well and and i mean in terms of the challenges to it you know it in a lot of ways, it, it's even simpler than wage and hour cases, right? Because there are various affirmative defenses or exemptions throughout the FLSA and certain wage statutes that kind of give companies, for better, I think, to the three of us on this podcast, for worse, wiggle room when it comes to things like overtime wages and the minimum wage. There are really very few such exceptions written expressly into this law. HIPAA, now proper HIPAA exemptions being one of them, because that is also something that you and others have gotten the joy of litigating up and down the Illinois appellate courts in Grand and, Leash. And we will again before the Illinois Supreme Court as of two weeks ago. We've been notified of that. Again? Again. We, we Well, no, it hasn't been to the Supreme Court yet. <laughs> no, I just mean you again, and then that issue fourth, again on the appellate time. level. <laughs> fourth, fourth, fourth time. Fourth time in, in less than a year. Well, because the, the HIPAA issue did at least go up to the appellate court at one yeah. point and was already decided. By the Illinois appellate court, that is the decision. That's our decision. That is the decision that recently was granted a petition for leave to appeal by the Illinois Supreme Court. So we will be defending the Illinois appellate court's decision on that as well. Well, but that one seems much simpler to me even than the other two, which is essentially like if there is something directly patient care related about patient privacy where a patient's biometrics are scanned, it makes sense that a HIPAA exemption might apply. But to the custodian or, or you know, an RN who's clocking in and out at the facility, it doesn't really track that HIPAA should somehow apply to that interaction. Well, the defendant in that case, a powerful hospital group, doesn't see it that way. They believe that the Illinois legislature, even though there is no statement to this effect in the statute, and, and for no reason, no logical reason articulated or otherwise, gave uh, hospital groups a pass when it came to complying with BIPA for their employees. And and they, they, they have a very, I'm going to be as polite as I can, creative interpretation of the statute to justify that. Clearly, the statute is to provide an exemption for taking biometric data from patients who are already protected under the very strict HIPAA regulations, which provide for criminal penalties for unlawfully disclosing data. That, of course, makes sense. No such logic applies to taking data from hospital employees, of course. I'm also, again, impressed by the number of BIPA cases the Supreme Court has taken and issued opinions on, which is going to be like in a four-year period, starting back in 2019 with Rosenbach, continuing through now. They've been pretty active in this space. I can't remember another law where the state Supreme Court has done that much work. I, I agree, and I can't either. I think this really brings home the importance of this statute. And I think we are very lucky in Illinois to be the only state so far to have enacted a, a strict, important statute like this that protects biometric privacy. I think that the court understands the importance of the statute and the rights it protects and you know, wisely wishes to provide some certainty and some clarity to it. And they have most recently on Friday with the accrual issue, a couple of weeks ago on the statute of limitations issue, which the defendant in that case had been arguing it should only be a one-year limitations period. The statute itself does not provide 
for a limitations period. And typically, as the court ruled, absent some other compelling reason, the default five-year limitations period applies. That's what they held. We were very gratified by that unanimous opinion as well. So you've been up to the state Supreme Court arguing on how many different issues on BIPA yourself? So far, it's been three. We've discussed two of them. The one that we argued most recently was a few weeks ago. It's actually the one that that the it's probably the only one, I suppose, the defense has prevailed on, and that is on the, the union LMRA exemption defense, where the defendant has said that, well, this is really governed by a CBA for unionized employees only, and so it's not properly addressed in court. You have to go through the union grievance procedure. The The Seventh Circuit years ago in a case called Miller versus Southwest Airlines ruled in favor of the defendant. We believe it was based on a misapprehension of the facts and the law in that case. We've been trying to, to advocate that position, position in the Illinois state system, that that was a mistaken ruling because, of course, the Illinois courts don't have to follow the federal courts in that regard. But because it is a federal statute, the LMRA, typically some deference is owed. So that's sort of a big hurdle we're attempting to overcome. We we argue we don't have a ruling, but you know, we, we're at least doing everything we can to to get unionized employees the same rights as everybody else in Illinois. So weird scenario where you would be disadvantaged from from this protection because you have the benefit of a CBA. But a CBA that really never could have contemplated or never would have really this issue. And that's what's so, you know, baffling about it. Yeah. So the CBA does not talk about data privacy, privacy in the workplace, biometrics, the BIPA statute doesn't touch upon it at all. And that's what we were trying to explain that from a practical standpoint, if an employee attempted to grieve, they would need to point to something in the CBA that the employer allegedly violated. So it was CBA just a contract. So so what 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 provision did they violate? Did they break? There isn't one. There's just there's there's something called a management rights clause that's in every CBA that basically says, you know, things that aren't really, you know, discussed in this CBA are reserved for management, which is true, but Anything that's legal is preserved for management. That doesn't give them the right to now break the law. That doesn't mean management can now do things that are illegal. So if it's not in the CBA, that means management can decide when to give a raise, how much of a raise, when to give promotions, how to handle employee discipline, you know, things that employers have every right to do because there's no law saying you can't. But that does not mean that you now get to break the, the BIPA statutes because there's a management rights clause. It's kind of a nuance. We, we understand how the Seventh Circuit, maybe it wasn't presented well or whatever the problem was. That wasn't our case, by the way. We didn't do that. But we're, we're doing our best to, to you know do what we can for Illinois unionized employees. It remains to be seen how it's going to play out. Anything else, Jim, you'd like to cover on any of these decisions that have come down recently, favorably or otherwise, before we wrap? You know, just that, I mean, you know, it, it sometimes appears to, to folks that 
I'm single-handedly doing this. I am not. I have a team of really smart, dedicated, hardworking lawyers at my firm who I'm exceedingly proud of, who have, you know, bent over backwards, worked, you know, well into the night, weekends to to, you know, prepare briefing on this to do you know, mock oral arguments, to get us all ready to fight these fights. Without them, I, I wouldn't be talking with you today. We wouldn't be able to do the work that we do. So I, I really want to make it clear this is a team effort. I'm exceedingly proud of my, uh, my, my, my team. There you have it. Jim Zura single-handedly without any help from a team fighting Bippa up and down the courts. No, and uh, kidding aside, thank you to all you and your crack team and Stefan Zuras for advocating on this law, for for being pioneers in it, for pushing um, the legislature and the courts to make sure that workers' rights are protected on biometric privacy and just data privacy in general. I think we all recognize with every day in a new hack or data breach coming through these issues become increasingly important. I mean, we certainly see on the other side, the, you know, up and down LinkedIn and everywhere else, the defense bar going nuts about, you know, data security and cybersecurity and all the things they need to do on their end. So God knows they could do that on the worker side as well and just make sure they're following, as you have very helpfully pointed out, the very low bars that BIPA imposes, the pieces of paper they need to disseminate and the minor policies they need to enact to just make sure they don't run afoul of this and that employee data are. And and I also want to thank you guys for creating and sticking to this forum to discuss intelligently, you know, employee rights, workers' rights, underprivileged, you know, disadvantaged folks who usually don't have a voice. You guys are doing an amazing job of providing that voice for for public knowledge and, and to speak the truth. So I'm very gratified that something like this exists in Illinois. Well, thank you for the kind words, Jim. Amit, before we go, would you like to... I would like to do it, though. I think Jim kind of did this like he did last time, too. We would end our episodes with a shout out of the week, just something positive in the news, whatnot. I think here I just want to candidly just reiterate the shout out you had for your team and kind of all the work you've been doing in the space for the last four plus years. Again, it's it's really, really rare to have a state Supreme Court make four plus major decisions on an act in a small time frame. And a lot of this is because of the hard work you've done and your team has done. And candidly, from my perspective, I, I really enjoyed it here. And when you did it last time, too, the shout outs you do for your own team. I think that's awesome. You know, I, I, I don't want to leave without, you know, also remarking about what an honor and a privilege it is to argue a case before the Illinois Supreme Court. It is not something I ever imagined doing once, much less four times. I mean, I, I, I you know, I'm pretty blown away by by that that privilege. You know, win or lose, I consider it a the the highest professional achievements. You know, significance of my career. And on top of that, you have a case here that was both in the Seventh Circuit and the Illinois Supreme Court, which is. Right incredibly rare the venn diagram of that is small <laughs> well I, I, um, I'll, I'll add as a shout out too because i learned this week jim is a university of tennessee football fan i'll shout out oh, i'm sorry university of tennessee rocky top volunteers for beating Ahmed's alabama volunteer alabama crimson tide this year several months ago but it is fun to rub it in his face so i i am a to, to be clear i am a tennessee ball by marriage <laughs> since i met my wife in 2008 and that was right about the time they fell off a cliff but in recent times things appear to be headed trending back up to the glory days that my wife has talked about 
in her day from the from the late 1990s but we shall see i did enjoy the videos and the tracking of the goalposts after the game ended yeah i my 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 wife was crying tears of joy all all evening that night i i remember it well 19 my childhood 1990s self who enjoyed the the i don't know if that's burnt orange but whatever orange that tennessee has and hearing rocky top every five seconds was very happy anyway jim thank you for making time for us on a sunday morning to do this on top of everything else you do and all your other obligations um we're really grateful once again for your advocacy for the ways you are able to break down bipa and the litigation issues that at times feel very technical and esoteric for our audience and just all that you do thank you so much Well, thanks again to you guys. I really enjoy being here. Thanks to everybody at home for listening to us. Please, I encourage you to check out Stefan Zuris' website to see all the other good work that that team is doing on BIPA. You guys have quite a few cases that may be coming out of stay very quickly, so you may be very busy, but do check out all their good work and their interesting blog posts on various issues. Thank you to everybody at home for listening. Please do subscribe and share to this podcast. Our podcast is intended to provide general overviews of employment law. The statements and opinions provided in this podcast are just that, the host opinions. We are not your attorney. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship, and it's not intended to provide specific legal advice. For legal questions, please consult with an attorney.